0: Not the word I want to use, but for lack of a better word, like I don't give myself enough credit for like just how much that I like lived through. Like it's a lot to look back on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's no guidebook for that. Right. There's no support system for that. There's no support group or you know community resource for that.
0: Just Matthew's D one.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right we had to create our own but I think that that was the thing about it like we always found ourselves like creating like I think that that's that's the part that I hope um you know anybody that's listening to this um you know I hope you take what's here for you whatever whatever it may be but um I hope we all know like we do have the power to create transform um renew whatever it is that we feel that needs to be in existence that doesn't currently exist and I say that very broadly but you know we all have something within ourselves that we believe that we're pressing against whether or not it's possible whatever but I hope that we really know like it is like there's so many examples of and you know, I can share ser- several stories, even at UCSD, getting Black-themed housing was something that I, w- I was told would never happen from those that are in positions of power.
0: Mm.
1: Out of their mouths, who are the gatekeepers of those kind of decisions, said out of their mouths something like that would never happen. Almost over their dead bodies.
0: And I think that's where I want to kind of bring us back uh, to the podcast and because one of the things as we were talking about like uh, the 1.3 percent as we are talking about the meetings that we were in as we we're talking about BSU board involvement what is it like for you to look back at UC San Diego as it stands today and uh, now the campus is up to a whopping three plus percent black students which is still like an outrageous number to say out loud but at the same time I think having lived through when it was one percent plus like is humongous. There's more Black art on campus. There are more Black people on campus. There's Black housing in the newest buildings on campus. There's Black grad housing. Uh, There's the whole DEI stuff. There's a Target on campus now. Um, The BRC has multiple staff members. So as an alum who has come back to give keynote speeches at different events and uh, just looking back at your experiences, what is it like to look back at the campus that you for lack like you helped you helped craft UC San Diego as it is today. I mean we both did, but just like um thinking back at just being in those meetings, having those conversations, what is it like looking at UCSD now?
1: Mm. That's a that's an outstanding question, honestly, because I think when you're organizing those kind of efforts, you don't really like you have an idea of what is possible and what that will produce. But, you know, to hear the vision of having Black-themed housing be actualized. And um, the last I had heard, it was like 79, almost 80 students. Uh, It may be more than that, but 80, 80 Black students in a living, learning community, their first time away from their own cultural context. And the reason why that's so valuable and important is because it, cont- it it gives them a sense of belonging, a sense of safety that you can go back to. Um, and, I th- and that was something that was very lacking, that kind of environment built in, that kind of built-in environment. And, you know, that kind of need isn't going to, everyone's not going to feel like that's the thing that's going to offer them, you know, or it's going to meet their needs for some and, and for most it probably will and you know when I look back at UCSD now I'm grateful for all those things like that's what we fought for like it, it's it's, a, it's an amazing thing because it's it's exactly what we fought for it was exactly what we advocated for for and so to see it um actualized and you know to hear stories of um, how students have benefited from it, how it contributes to retention, you know, we started at one point three percent, like three percent is because it doubled. it's doubled the numbers of students um that we had even over ten years ago um and you know there's progress and you know we can measure progress and say, is that swift enough? Mm-hmm. but you know I'm not I, I I will acknowledge that you know there's progress in that um. I I will also admit that I'm not as tapped into the climate at UCSD in terms of like the pulse of UCSD. So I can't really say um, what it really feels like to be a student right now at UCSD. Um, But my hope was that there were more access of resources, that there were safe spaces that were curated, that were accessible on a regular basis for black students, that there was spaces that reaffirmed their history, our history, when we're walking on these campuses, that there's more than just their own black face that they have to look at day to day in in their classrooms, that there's, um, I also know there's a African-American studies major now. Which is a big deal, because we live now in a country that is telling, you know, that are creating laws to remove books and history and literature that highlight the truth of our historical makeup, of the historical foundation of this country. And it's because we want to maintain this illusion And at some point, it's going to be dismantled or it's going to dismantle itself, either which way. So, you know, we're in that day and age where there's more access than ever before. Um, and so I'm grateful that there's there's spaces where Black students or people in general that have an investment and an in in- interest in understanding and really learning and in, in, in grounding their intellectual development into understanding the history of black people is necessary because I didn't even have that. You didn't have that when you were a student, you know, we were African-American studies minors, but if I had the desire to major in African-American studies, I didn't even have that option. Right. So there's things that I'm grateful to see that it currently exists at UCSD. Um. But I'm always keen to know that some of these things can be a bit performative.
0: Yeah.
1: Some of these things can be real check the box. Some of these things don't actually change the mental, the intellectual, and the resource conditions that Black students live in. Even at an institution that is claiming that they are highly invested in the success of Black students. Sometimes that is talking points. So, again, I don't know the post of UCSD, but I do hope that students are finding more avenues, spaces that are are curated and designed for them, that aids in their retention, that invest in their needs, that ensure that they have the economic resources that they need to thrive. Because we know that Black students already start at an economic disadvantage when they are going to school because they're likely to be the first generation. They are likely to come from from environments where resources are thin. They are likely the ones that have to take out an extraordinary amount of loans. They are likely the ones that don't have financial literacy to understand how to position yourself well, to prepare yourself to go into the career force, to make the money that you desire to make, to lay a, a strong economic foundation, to be able to have Leadership opportunities, building their social capital and network, being able to really ground themselves in their sense of self and their identity. And I hope that UCSD is highly dedicated to that because it's within their best interest. Um. It was within their best interest to ensure that Black students had the resources that they had because it allowed me as a person, as a student, as a leader to grow, to thrive. And to build upon those things so that I can do even greater things in the world. So when you invest in Black students intentionally, deliberately, while you have them, while you're grooming and you're investing in their intellectual potential, also invest in their safety, also invest in their pockets, also invest in their basic needs, also invest in affirm their cultural identity, also invest in sure that they have safe environments. That they can lay their heads down and don't have to worry about dealing with racist bullshit. Microaggressions on a regular. Outright hate and prejudice. That there are spaces that they can go to where they know that they are safe. Because we do live in a country where that has anti-blackness and anti-black violence has not been eradicated.
0: Not at all.
1: And, they, and it does happen at institutions like UCSD. So are they proactive? Not reactive. Demands is a reaction to where students have to demand that you prioritize the needs of Black students. So I hope that Black students are thriving. Even though I know I, I've always reason why I'm invested in UCSD because not only I'm a product of that institution I would not be the leader that I am had it had I not been nurtured loved on within community had the opportunity to grow at UCSD as well so I don't want to I don't want to paint this broad stroke that UCSD right. didn't also invest in my personal development but nobody in no institution is above critique
0: no not at all and I think that um sorry to cut you off but I think that that's part of the reason why I appreciate having different UCSD alum on the podcast, too, because I think I think because my dad obviously listens to this podcast all the time. And uh, one of the things that he, w- he and I are laughing about is how pretty much every black student on here that has come is like, yeah, I wasn't really trying to come to UCSD or, yeah, it kind of sucked. But then always wrapping up and talking about just what they gained from that experience. And I think that's the multi storytelling that i want to make sure that i emphasize on this podcast because even when i was working in admissions and getting paid to get more black students to ucsd whenever people asked what was the ucsd experience like i would give them like if if they were willing to sit and hear me out for like two minutes and like hey this is my experience sometimes it was really rough sometimes i didn't see a lot of black people sometimes we were fighting the good battle for black students to come other times it was the time of my life it gave me like great tools to become the person i am today and i think the more that we share the different sides of that story i think the more we give current black students and future black students permission to have a holistic college experience like yes like critique the institution yes use the resources but also make sure that you take everything that you can out of ucsd like make yeah. sure wherever college you're going to like make sure you're really investing in yourself as much as you let the institution take away from you you have to reinvest some of that energy back into you and uh, something that you mentioned that i just really uh, empathize with is just the fact that when it comes to making this experience better for black students holistically you're investing in them to be future leaders and i think that uh you talk about like just being able to accomplish all that you've accomplished one of the things i want to make sure that we leave some room to talk about was black girl leadership academy and just understanding one, uh, a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago, we had Vicky on a podcast. Shout out to uh, Queen Victoria. Shout Um, out
1: to Queen Vicky. Queen
0: Vicky, part of Black Girl Leadership Academy, BGLA. Um, And I think that one of the reasons why I wanted to start with more of your journey getting to where you are today is because when it comes to like nurturing and growing future Black girls and Black women leaders, uh, it's important that people understand like how you guys become the leader you are today. So uh, Vicky gave us a little bit about kind of the founding of BGLA, but uh, from your own story, your own perspective, um, how did Black Girl Leadership Academy come about?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, <clears throat> I'll open this question with saying first, um, I was loved by, nurtured, supported, and mentored by Black women. And I've had other really incredible mentors that don't fit into that particular demographic, but Black women specifically have loved on me, has poured into me, have invested in seeing me, giving me the space to explore, giving me the space to make mistakes, giving me the space to fail and falling on my face, but giving me a hand and lifting me back up. Black women have given me um, the inspiration, the motivation to keep going when it's tough. And so, for many of those reasons, I, this, this, find being the co-founder of Black Girls Leadership was more of a calling than it was a seeking. Um, and I say that because it wasn't necessarily in my vision to see that that was where, you know, things were headed, but, um, in 2020, when COVID really impacted, disrupted our ento- our entire globe, it turned our entire world upside down for many reasons. And, you know, at the time I was working at the NAACP as a national program manager. Um, and when we shift and pivot for more of a virtual organizing model and style we were also looking at a lot of the data across the nation Um, and we were honestly dealing with two pandemics we were dealing with COVID-19 but we were also dealing with systemic racism at a really gross high level and Black people that were already at the margins that were already vulnerable in every every sense of the word, vulnerable economically, vulnerable health wise, vulnerable in the educational system, vulnerable within family, like vulnerability at every at every turn, on a massive level, while also dealing with ongoing police violence. That was the same year of George Floyd one of the most gross, dehumanizing and inhumane displays of anti-Black racism. That we as a globe witness, right in front of our eyes in 2020, not, and we've seen pictures and depictions of those things of Black bodies hanging on trees. The Emmett Till's of the world, like gross. Yeah, you know, looking at the data for one, um, being in a position of leadership on a national scale, and just recognizing the gaps. And, you know, Victoria is one of my best friends. For those who don't know Victoria, she is a queen in every sense of the word. Um just a beautiful spirit. This woman teaches me every day, teaches me literally every day. She is a gift to my life, a pure gift to my life. And, you know, she keeps me accountable. We have the deep conversation. She's holds space for all of my intellect, whatever, whatever I'm talking about. Vicky will hold space for it. And I remember one day I was just so angry and frustrated and Feeling faced with a sense of helplessness. Um, and we were just like, what can we do that we have access to do? That we have the capacity to do. Um, and you know, we were looking at how this data was also intersecting with how it was impacting black women and girls specifically. Um, just some of the numbers, black women. Make up about 66% of our economic base um, within our families. They are oftentimes, you know, the ones that are the providers. And that's for, that was by design and by conditioning, why that is. And it's not to make one thing better, worse, or otherwise, but it's a reason why those numbers exist the way that they do. And Black women were the first to get fired, which means that their entire families were stripped of economic resources that were needed. Black women were the ones that were on the front line more often than not. They were the ones that were the caretakers, the ones that were most vulnerable to the COVID-19 pandemic as well. Um, black, Black girls and Black people and young people in general, they had to deal with the digital divide, where now they're on... Now they're learning online, but they don't have the resources that they need to adequately be able to adapt to that new style of learning, who didn't have computers, Who some of them didn't have Wi-Fi. And for, so for all of those reasons, and then us being Black women and girls ourselves also have had the, the blessed honor of having um, other people really pour into us. And be in positions of leadership, be in positions of influence, be in a position of access. And we we imagine what was it like, to, what would it be like if we were able to create a platform, an opportunity, a resource for Black women and girls. And, you know, one night um, in 2020, me and Vicky were talking and I was like, I got it. I know the name. I know what the name of our organization is. And she was like, what? What? And I was like, it's BGLA. And she was like, she tried to um say, she tried to um figure out what it was called. And she was very, cl- it was very close. And I was like, no, it's Black Girls Leadership Academy. And she was like, Black Girls Leadership Academy. And so we just was affirming like Black Girls Leadership Academy. And that alone became very clear what we were about to do and the vision that we wanted to create. And for those who are listening, Black Girls Leadership Academy is an organization, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to cultivating and enhancing the leadership skills of young Black girls and women across our nation. Um, Those who are specifically between the ages of 11 and 24, we provide intergenerational mentorship to help to enhance their personal development. We provide opportunities for art, for expression, um, for education, and but it's rooted and grounded in their sense of cultural expression, their cultural identity, giving them the space to be affirmed in their unique identity. That we know that there's no one way to be black, there's no one way to be girl, there's definitely no one way to be a black girl or a black woman, and so being able to really define yourself for yourself, especially when we've been stripped of that definition, we've had to contort ourselves into everyone else's narrow definition of what black womanhood and black girlhood is. And so rooted in being able to understand the expression of their own cultural identity, whether that means they're Ghanaian American, whether they're Nigerian American, whether they're Haitian American, whether they're African American, whether they're black American descendants of enslaved Africans, whether they're from the Caribbean, whether they're from the continent of Africa in any country. And being able to hold space for the unique expression of what it means to be black, what it means to be girl, what it means to be woman, while enhancing their characteristics as leaders. Uh, by helping to nurture a, a servant leadership spirit, by them being able to identify what are the issues within their own community that they have the power to change, that they have the power to influence, and it can be as small scale as whatever they want, or it could be as big as they dream it could be a, a young girl that's in jackson mississippi and we know that jackson is dealing with the water crisis and it could be that young girl organizing a water drive for other community members to get clean water it could be something in california and long beach we're seeing that there's trash on the beaches and they organize a community cleanup day it could be, and uh, we've heard we've we've been meeting with mentors, potential mentors, and mentees right now in the interviewing process, and we have young girls and mentors that are applying from Hawaii.
0: Wow,
1: and they're sharing different issues that matter to them. Um, some of them gun control, gentrification are issues that matter to them, and they get to dream and imagine how do they become the change agents that they want to see in this world. While also our long term goal is to give them an the opportunity to travel to a country within the Black diaspora to do global service projects and give back to another culture while also enhancing their perspective, their identity by being immersed in another Black culture. So that is what Black Girls Leadership Academy is about in terms of its vision and its mission. Um, and it really came out of a birth of wanting to be a resource to black women and girls holistically. It was birthed out of wanting to fill a gap that we saw that was there and that was needed. And we believed that if we didn't do it, nobody else was. And so we had to put our roll up our sleeves and began getting to work to lay a foundation that they can really build upon that they can really build upon and that they can see other people within themselves, that they can network with other like-minded women across our country.
0: You better go ahead and mark it in. <laughs> did you, did you <laughs> rehearse that? Damn. Like that was, that was like the most thorough, all encompassing, like I'm there, like I'm with you. Like I was there with you and Vicky uh, talking about the bgla all the way through like the different type of black girls that y'all are servicing like no further questions with regards to what it is i f- I feel like if you listen to that little sound bite and you don't know what bgla is about like you just got to hit rewind because that that was beautiful no,
1: thank you thank you
0: i'm about to pull up the website are you reading <laughs> like jeez no that was that was amazing though i think that Uh, Obviously, it's something that you're passionate about. And I think that anything that we're passionate about, it just comes naturally. It's it's not hard to talk about your why if it truly is your why. Like I'm a firm believer in that. And I think that uh, you really exhibited that through your just description on what BGLA is, what it means. And I had a couple more questions about BGLA. And as you were talking, I'm like, well, she answered that, answered that, answered that. (laughs) Uh, I think the one question that I have um, as we kind of round out, So if I'm listening to this podcast episode and just heard your beautiful explanation about BGLA, uh, how can I get involved? How can I support? What are the ways that I can support Black Girls Leadership Academy?
1: Yeah, great question. So there's really um, three ways in which you can get involved. Um, One being we do have a mentorship program and we are actively actually accepting applications for mentors and mentees. And so one way you can get involved if you are a black woman or you identify within that identity, um, you can apply to be a mentor if you're over the age of 18 and you feel like you have something that you want to contribute and help to pour into another young black girl or a black woman and helping to be a part of their journey of success and their journey of development, apply. If you're invested in the success of of black women and girls and you want to see them thrive, I encourage you to apply. Um, If you're a mentee and you're someone between the ages of 11 and 24 and you want mentorship, Mm -hmm. you want someone else that's in your corner that can help you grow personally, can help you grow professionally, um, that could be a partner with you in the season of um, as you're evolving, and have someone that you can relate to who's on the other side of that, that can share share with you from their own lived experience, what it was like for them to navigate unique spaces that oftentimes we don't operate in and that we're oftentimes not prepared for either. Um, and so those are really the first two ways if you find yourself or if you know a black woman or girl that is interested in mentoring or will benefit from mentorship, apply. On our website at blackgirlslead.org. The other way in which you can apply is by volunteering. You can volunteer your expertise by being one of our guest speakers. Uh, We put on different programs throughout the year. We have private gatherings with just our mentorship cohort around various topics mental health, financial literacy um career preparation and preparedness academic success how to negotiate your salary how to secure your bag all of those things a range of different things and a lot of times those those resources are there but they're not being talked about in the context of what it means to be black and woman. And so if you have insight and would like to share any of those expertise or even resources, that's a way you can get involved. And lastly, you can certainly donate.
0: I was waiting for it.
1: Donates. We are a national nonprofit that is a 501c3. So you do get a tax benefit from that. And not only do you get a tax benefit from that, you also directly invest in the advancement, the growth. That a young black woman, girl, or girl will have, which will not only contribute to their own personal growth, but that will eventually translate into them impacting our communities as well over time and long term. Um, so, not only when you invest in them, you also invest in yourself. And so, for the, all of those reasons, I encourage you to donate to this incredible organization. Um, also, sponsorship. So, if you Are into philanthropy, you know, individuals within your own network that would be interested in investing in an organization like this that is growing. We've only been active for the last two years, but the impact that we have is has been outstanding. We've had our first mentorship cohort and we had 30 mentors and 30 mentees from across this nation. We from across 19 different states being represented. We're starting our second cohort and we literally have applicants from all five time time zones, including Hawaii. And that's a lot of that has been word of mouth. We have retained over 75% of our previous cohort. So the impact that this organization to have isn't small and it's only gonna get bigger from here. And so we really believe in the affirmation that it takes a village. And so donate is a way that you are able to contribute to the village.
0: Blackgirlslead.org. Uh, y'all heard the plug. Uh, if y'all are watching on YouTube or Spotify, you see the crest in the background. Also have the We Lift As okay. Rise shirt on. Uh, so get out there and support Black Girls Leadership Academy. Uh, we want to make sure that we can access as many Black girls as possible. Uh, so thank you for that plug and just the detailed way and active, actionable ways that people can support and get involved. Um, also going to say for our listeners, uh, let us know in the comments and the, the reviews if y'all want to have Vicky and Jazzy on an episode together and go a little bit more in depth about Black Girl Leadership, because I think that there's a lot that can be said about the importance of representation and mentorship. Uh, the importance of just having like Black women that went to college, uh, Black women from different age ranges, because I think 11 and 24, uh, you don't see a lot of groups for Black folks that encompasses that wide range of ages. I think that there's this notion that once you turn 18, like you got it, you don't need to be a part of an academy like BGLA, but there's so much wisdom that can be gained from a 23-year-old person being able to be a part of BGLA. So, so happy uh, that that y'all have that opportunity for folks. Um, closing out or rounding out the end of the podcast episode here, uh, because for some folks don't know, Jazzy is on the East Coast and is being so generous over time. It's currently 10:29 p.m. and she is giving <laughs> you all these nuggets of wisdom. Uh, so I'm gonna take it a little over time. We originally going to end at 10:30, but I just have a couple of quick hitters that I wanted to hit, and then I'm gonna let Jazzy get on her way uh so of course, you'll probably be back on this podcast eventually. So don't feel the need to give two thorough responses to these last two so you can get you another cup of tea and get to bed. uh,
1: yes.
0: <laughs> uh the first one, this is something I definitely want to make sure uh, that I mentioned, uh, and I'll give you time to finish drinking your tea so you don't have to rush the question. But, um, you're on the East Coast. I mentioned you moved to d c. Um, I think we'll save the conversation about what you've learned and how you've grown and developed in different ways since you've been in D.C. for another time. Uh, but specifically in terms of stuff that you're doing right now, uh, I know one of the things that's been really big for you lately is yoga and wellness. Uh, you lead various classes throughout the week, uh, always seeing you on IG, uh, linear class and also just exhibiting such joy in being able to lead people uh, through yoga and in different ways of wellness and just being in touch with their body. Um also the most recent time I flew out to DC, I was tired as hell and got off a flight and Jazzy had me in this 98 degree studio working out and shit when it was 30 degrees outside. I was tired as hell, but that's a
1: trooper. He was a trooper. I
0: was like, what are we doing <laughs> today? It's like, oh, you trying to go work out? What kind of vacation is it?"
1: <laughs> it's so funny, all my friends literally are like yeah no i'm good but everyone has given it a try so thank you for showing up and giving it a try
0: I say no to you
1: we, we we have we have a memory for a lifetime now uh-huh. of us out in the hot yoga studio so i'm grateful that you said yes yeah. two hours after you got off your flight
0: <laughs> You I wasn't
1: know. hydrated or anything. I didn't
0: eat or nothing, but I gave it the old scouts try. But uh, if you could just in whatever time frame you want, but if you could just give me a quick tidbit about what it means for you specifically, we can get into uh instructing and teaching at a later time. But just what doing yoga just means for you and your own self care, your own holistic health. What is what does yoga do for you? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Great question. Um it requires me to be present in a way that um very few things do. Um we live in a very busy world. We live in a very easily distracted world. Um like I said we live in a capitalistic based society which demands your time, your labor regularly, consistently in order to maintain. And so, you know, I got caught up in that also was a lot of us do and I was dealing with chronic burnout. Yoga for the first time required me to look myself in the mirror really seriously. Because when you're in the yoga studio, more often than not, it's just, you. even though it's a class full of people, it's really you versus you. Mm-hmm. And yoga for me grounded me in that me versus me spirit. I am my own limitations. I am my own doubt. I am my own fear. I am my own joy. I am my own, all of those things, whatever in which I'm being confronted with, I am my own block. And in that time, it was the first time that I really got to understand in a deeper way, what does that mean? That means that whatever limitations I set for myself, I can also remove. And, you know, yoga after a while became really natural to me. Uh, I started taking, first time I ever really started yoga was in 2021. Almost like, I think it was August of 2021. One of my friends um, had moved here from California and she was interested in yoga and, um, and she invited me. And I was like, you know, yoga, you really think about it. You don't really think about black women doing yoga. You don't really think about people of color and black people doing yoga. You oftentimes think of white and particularly white women doing yoga. If we're going to be honest. And I went, you know, I live in DC and I went to the blackest yoga studio. I think that exists. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> It's a Black woman-owned yoga studio. She owns three different studios. And walking into that space gave me a sense of belonging. But not only that, it gave me the safety, comfort, comfort, and ability to get back into my body. Mm-hmm. It's an active meditation. It's one of the best things that gives you the opportunity to connect the mind, body, and spirit deliberately at the same time and yoga for me and I don't know if there's very few things there's very few things that give me access to being in tune with all three consciously we may be operating from all three but from a very deep conscious level like completely I'm I'm aware what it feels like what my toes feel like, what my calf feels like, what my lower back feels like, what my upper back feels like, what my neck feels like. I'm connected with how deep are my how deep is my breath? Where am I holding tension in my body? Where do I feel dis-ease in my body? Where do I feel imbalance in my body? And so yoga really increased my self-awareness. It gave me the opportunity to really learn how to increase my tolerance for stillness. Because mm-hmm. I was used to the hustle, bustle, grind. You know, we talked about that. I was, I, first day you met me, you like, I was, a, I was busy and I'm still busy in my own way, but I've learned yoga has helped me to remain accountable. So yoga is also a self-accountability. But even more so, um yoga taught me the power of our breath, mm-hmm. especially black people. We live in a country where we've had to protest that and exclaim and regurgitate the words of black 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 people whose last words were, "I can't breathe." And while we were at UCSD, that was one of our prime chants. And imagine that, we're repeating death. So yoga taught me, showed me, reminded me that I am living, that I am here, that I am present, that I am safe, that I am well, that I am okay. It gave me the space to affirm those things and really feel where that is true. Because there's a place within us that we can really access and find the truth of that. Like, we can sit right here for a second and I want you to feel your feet on the ground. I want you to feel your back rested on your chair and feeling just your body being supported by the weight of the chair. You're safe. You're not going to fall. Your back is protected. And You can close your eyes. I find a soft case. I want you to begin just taking a nice deep inhale through the nose. Fill the belly, fill the lungs, and then exhale out by the mouth. Another nice deep breath in through the nose. And then exhale out by the mouth. Another nice deep breath in. As you exhale out, allow the shoulders to soften, back soften, belly soften. Now, place one hand over the belly and one hand over the heart. And again, take a nice deep inhale to the nose. And then exhale out by the mouth, allowing the shoulders to soften. Another nice deep inhale. Feel the belly, feel the lungs, and then exhale out by the mouth. Feeling the belly decompress. One more time, inhale. Feeling the belly, and then exhale out by the mouth, allowing allowing everything to release, allowing it to go, releasing the tension, and letting go what no longer serves you. Bring your hands by your side, and then opening your eyes whenever you're ready. Mm-hmm. So that is what yoga has offered me.
0: You yogis.
1: <laughs> the permission to breathe. To breathe deeply. To use my breath as the tool that it is. That it's a reminder that anytime I need to access a pace, a place of peace, a place of groundedness, I already have the tools within me. Just breathe.
0: Just breathe. Just breathe. Uh, That's
1: yoga for me. That's what that means
0: listeners i hope that you joined us in that uh breathing exercise um yeah that was that was wonderful um new yogis man like tell you about just tell me about yoga now we're doing deep breathing exercises on a podcast uh i was trying to be all respectful for your time and you took us on a little journey i'm, I'm with it i love it um thank you for that uh listeners also if you haven't already I did an episode with Brie Hamlet, who is a yoga instructor, so highly encourage you all to check that episode out. Uh, Another Black woman identifying person who is leading yoga classes, especially for those of y'all in San Diego, uh, check out one of their classes. Um, It's important, and I got deep into a conversation with her about yoga and breathing, so definitely check that out. Uh, But Jazzy, as I mentioned, wanted to be respectful of your time, so the final uh, question that I have for you is um it's a bit kind of a two-part question but one is just what takeaway you have from this podcast episode and two just a word of advice that you like to leave our listeners with
1: Mm, that's a good one um my takeaway is um I love you Kyler (laughs) and you know I'm grateful for the kinship that we've built over a decade now wow Um, this year is a decade of our friendship, of our journey. Um, we have both been, you know, encouragers, uh, witnesses, listening ears, um, supports um, as we navigated our own woes of life. And so um, this podcast reminded me just how everything is so interconnected. Um that our pain and our purpose can be one of the same. Sometimes it can be the very fuel um, that transform not only our lives, but the lives of hundreds of thousands of millions of people potentially can transform the lives of the next generation. Um, To always know that we're always planting seeds, that we're always laying foundation each day you have the opportunity to lay a new brick and are you building bricks of healing of hope of goodness or that of destruction dishonor discrimination and so i um i'm always reminded just just the power um of hope, the power of belief, the power of community, the power of friendship. Um, This podcast reminded me of all of that. And I'm grateful that it gave me the space to explore, to reflect, to be honest, to be vulnerable, um, to take some of the, you know, guards off that I think, you know, some people that are listening may know some of these things, may have never heard any of these things from me um but I hope um you leave away with something that was for you whatever it was um and something you know that I've been meditating on is um I always I've always postured myself as a humble person um you know I got to share about the great things that you know I've done um but I'm humble in knowing, like, I didn't do all of that by myself. It was the Kylas of the world, the Victorias of the world, the, you know, the people within my village that helped to empower me, inspire me, hold me when I was weak. Um, encourage me when I was strong. And so there's something, there's a sheer power of being in community with people who really see you, who hear you. Who seeks to understand you, um, and those are all the things that has allowed me to grow um, as a person and as a leader, um, as a friend, and um, also um, I like to just remind people, you know, not to allow success to get to your head and not to allow failure to get to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um because we're going to navigate all of those things. Um, And, you know, as we are reflecting, you know, it was the failures that got me to a better place of self-care. It was my lack of knowledge of how to do those things that got me to that place. And so um, I hope that, you know, the last thing I also leave you all with, that we always seek not only better ways to take care of ourselves and practice self-care, but also to practice community care. And that means letting your folks know what you need, letting your folks see you, letting your folks feel you. If you're having a hard day, relying on your network, not feeling like you got to do this thing alone. Um, And so... Know that we are living in a very interesting time, and community is always the thing that gives us the greatest strength. So this is a community that I hope that has fed you this podcast. Thank you, Kyler, for being an incredible host. Um, Thank you for creating this platform for people to talk, discuss, reflect, laugh, cry, um, crack up, tell jokes um, sit on their box. I know I can get on my box sometimes too. So thank you for offer, offering that space safely, comfortably. Um, but yeah, I really hope I'm, I, I'm really excited to see your podcast really grow, really grow in tremendous ways. And that, um, those that tune in, um, really catch the gems that have been shared with all of the speakers that have been, that I've even gotten the chance to tune into. So thank you for creating this space. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being my friend for almost a decade now. Um, Thank you for supporting and believing in me. And this is definitely not the last time that I'll be on the pod
0: with you. I appreciate that Jazzy. Um, I tell a lot of people that you're my favorite person in the whole world. So hopefully uh, through this episode, they understand more why that is. Uh, But thank you all for sticking with us throughout this conversation. Uh, So, so, so many gems throughout this podcast episode. So I hope that even if you only take one thing, even if it was just a deep breathing that we did, like if that was the thing that you need to take away from this podcast, I hope that that was impactful for anybody listening to this. Uh, As I mentioned at the beginning, please make sure to follow at Banquet Hall Pod on the gram, on Twitter, TikTok, all that. Uh, leave a five-star rating because after this episode, I don't really feel like I got a choice. Ain't ain't nothing less than a five-star rating for for Queen Jazzy. Uh, we'll get the Queen's guard on you if you give us <laughs> anything less. Um, last but not least, um, support Black Girls Leadership Academy. I think that's the big thing. Like uh, Whether you're a part of the Academy listening to this podcast and you want to tell your friends about it, Uh, If you're sitting on a couple extra dollars and trying to donate to a community cause, uh, all donations are valuable donations, just showing that you're invested in the future of our Black women leaders. Um, Because even if it's just sharing, like even while we were talking, I texted my supervisor like, hey, like, because I think she has a love year." I was like, hey, two of my friends founded this, like, check it out. She signed up for your email list like 30 minutes ago. So uh, that's the power of community. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then last, 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 but not least, um, I've been telling Jazzy for the past year and a half that she needs to write a book. Um, I think that y'all all all will agree after listening to this podcast. So what I'm asking all the listeners to do, uh, leave comments on Instagram, on uh, YouTube, whatever platform you're watching podcasts on and let Jazzy know that we need the book. Uh, I think that getting more people to say that we need the book will help the book come. We're not giving the book a specific timeline to follow on, but... I just want to keep affirming that Jazzy has a story to tell, and one of the ways of storytelling is through literature, and I can't wait to read the Jasmine Livingston story, and when that story comes out, they'll be like, damn, she's at the banquet hall, like she did this little podcast 10 years ago, and now she's just, well, well-known, yeah. best-selling New York Times author, number one of Black women authors, all that. That's what we <laughs> banquet hall uh but jazzy it is 10 50 p.m on the east coast i'm gonna kick you out the banquet hall because you need to get some right. rest uh all love though like i, w- I could sit here and talk to you for another we can
1: talk. yes
0: hours we've been on a zoom meeting for a couple hours already uh thank yes. you for tuning into the banquet hall though and we will catch you next time
1: yes indeed thank you so much Tyler. until next time